0: Always the place I like to start is just what can you sort of tell me about yourself, you know, Sarah Sanger, prior to entering the cannabis industry, anything you want to share about your personal or professional experiences?
1: Sure. So prior to entering the cannabis industry, I had a very traditional education and career, um, studied economics in undergrad and got an MBA and was, you know, very focused on my kind of middle of the road, middle middle of the middle of the strike zone, corporate um, career, kind of checking in the office every day and managing teams. Um, Most of my, the roles that I filled were uh, quantitative in nature, finance roles, analytics roles, and um, mostly in financial services type of industries. Um, As far as my personal life, um, I have two, two kids. I had two kids when I, you know, before I entered the industry. I, so I live with my husband and, and my two kids and my two fish, and fish are about the extent of pets that we can we can handle in our family. And we live in San Diego, I grew up here. And um, yeah, kind of normal lifestyle, normal California lifestyle.
0: Hey, Cannabis Curious listeners. This time I sit down with Sarah Sanger of Permit Pros. Permit Pros is an online course aimed at teaching you everything you need to know about the cannabis business permitting or licensing process in legal state. Check them out at teampermitpros.com. Thanks for listening. Living in San Diego would be my dream. Um, So what motivated you to get into cannabis and what did that kind of path look like for you?
1: Yeah, so there were some distinct things that motivated me to get into the cannabis industry. Um, I'll kind of talk through each of them. The first was um, I'm kind of a contrarian. So it's a little bit strange because my personality is that I, I play by the rules and I stay within the lines. But I also don't mind kind of having an opinion that maybe isn't popular. So being that I'm kind of a type A, my kids go to bed at seven, we eat, you know, vegetables with every meal kind of person. I sort of liked kind of representing that type of, you know, having having that type of representation in the cannabis industry where the preconceived stereotype is that these, it's these loser deadbeats that, you know, don't get out of eleven bed until 11 and, you know, don't have any sense of rules or any motivation and so forth. So I kind of wanted to bring my background into the industry so that people that have that stereotype and have that stigmatized view of the industry might be able to be more open-minded about the types of people that are you know engaged in the industry and believe in the in the plant and so forth. so I kind of liked that I, I, I didn't mind you know having that kind of awkward conversation with family members or friends that were like you''re you're, you're leaving your cush corporate job for what um, so that was one of them just kind of being willing to go against the tide. Um, the second was, I, as I mentioned, I have, a, I have a background in economics. So in economics, you know that when supply is low and demand is high, prices are high. So if you think about, um, if you think about Clorox wipes when the pandemic broke out, everybody wanted them, there wasn't enough, so obviously the price went up. So I was thinking about the cannabis industry vis-a-vis my economics background, and what I was thinking was. California just legalized cannabis. All of these operators need to raise money. However, there's not a lot of traditional capital sources that have money or can lend money to this industry or invest money in this industry because of the federal prohibition and then some people's moral and ethical concerns and so forth. So when you're talking about investing, if the demand for capital is high and the supply is low or non-existent, investors are going to get good deals. And then I thought about it from a human capital perspective where most of the existing legacy operators didn't necessarily have people with strong traditional educational backgrounds that could bring you know, finance, financial experience, accounting, um, corporate strategy, so forth. So I thought, well, maybe somebody with my background will be in high demand because it's unusual for the industry. Whereas applying to a corporate job, my resume looked like everyone else's. So I just thought maybe there'd be an opportunity there. And then also just kind of personally and philosophically, cannabis has always been a better option for me than any other um, recreational alcohol or anything like that. Um, ever since I was young, it's been a way for me to kind of get out of my head and deal with anxiety and relax and kind of slow down and smell the roses. And so that was secondary to the fact that I also have family members that have legitimate medical need for cannabis. And I want to make sure everyone in the country had fair, safe access. And then finally, and sorry, this is a super long-winded answer, Um, I wanted the transition to a regulated market in California to have adults in the room and people that took safety um, very seriously. I'm very concerned, was then, still am now, about what a gummy looks like to a nine-year-old kid that sees it on the table. It it absolutely should not be accessible to kids, appealing to kids. Um, I heard people say, well, I can drive when I'm under the influence, and I just wasn't comfortable with you know, how seriously the industry was taking safety. Um, And so I wanted to make sure that I couldn't, I I didn't want to just complain about that. I wanted to potentially help shape a safer industry where, you know, the products were clean, they were not being marketed to kids, um, and the public safety aspects were being kind of addressed.
0: Perfect. So when you first got into cannabis, kind of what, how did you get into it? What were you doing?
1: So um, I stopped working, which um, was very a big risk for me. I'm a very conservative person (laughs) generally. Um, So I started working on my securities license and my real estate license. So I got both of those things. So with my real estate license, I could represent clients in buying or selling real estate um, and legally be compensated for that. And then with my securities license, I could legally help my clients fundraise and get compensated for that. So if I found Mm -hmm. capital for a cultivator, for example, I could you know, basically get a fee through the broker dealer that I was registered with. So my first two actions were to get the were to get those licenses in place, and then I set up a consulting company where um, basically I was just networking within the industry and finding startups that needed somebody with a business background and a business mind, but that didn't necessarily need like a three hundred thousand dollars a year full time CFO. So I took on numerous consulting clients that just needed someone with my perspective um, to kind of help with. Financial strategy decisions and fundraising structures, fundraising accounting, financial statements, and so forth. So I just started, um, basically, with my own consulting company, um, taking on as many clients as I could as as I could handle, and going to industry events to try to find um, companies that needed help from someone like from someone with my background.
0: That's really impressive, especially to take the leap. I think it's one of the things that I enjoy the most about this industry is that so many people have left like a a cush, more predictable, kind of career path driven, you know, job to take a leap of faith and start something on their own. And I hear a lot of people similar stories where you maybe were part of a corporate structure where some things were taken care of for you, but now you're out on your own doing it all yourself.
1: Right, and my husband's self-employed also, so. Um, oh wow! Multiply you know, highly variable, variable income by highly variable income and get very extremely highly variable income. But In a high
0: way. cost of living area. You guys yeah.
1: are. Luckily we're not, we're not, we don't live an extravagant lifestyle, but yeah, it's definitely not the paycheck every two weeks <laughs> to cover everything like it used to be. Yeah. Yeah.
0: No, that makes sense. You guys are not adverse to risk, which I think is needed for this industry. Though you say your personality kind of defaults in that way. It was like, this is, it sounds like it was a little different here with cannabis.
1: It definitely was out of character.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So what led you to founding Permit Pros? And maybe talk to us just a little bit about what Permit Pros is.
1: Sure. So it was um, kind of a a winding path that got, me um, to meet Belinda and start Permit Pros. So essentially, I started this consulting business and was going to all of these networking events and industry events to meet clients. And in doing so, met um, two two guys that eventually became my partners on the real estate and um, real estate development side of the the industry. So essentially, I am a partner with Oak Holdings and Oak Holdings syndicates real estate deals where we acquire real estate that's suitable for cannabis licensing, but that doesn't yet have a license. um, Because by doing it at that point in the process, we're not paying these crazy inflated cannabis prices for the real estate. So we buy, for example, in San Francisco, we buy real estate that we know is far enough from schools and far enough from another dispensary and so forth. And we have very deep knowledge of the social equity process and all of these licensing processes in these jurisdictions. So we put together, we find these buildings, we raise money from accredited investors, we have access to bank debt. And so we put these real estate deals together and then we start the licensing process. And that's very intensely difficult, particularly in many of these social equity markets where the the rules are very different and nuanced and the processes are very long and expensive. Um, So we start the licensing process and kind of then eventually typically transition the license to a tenant who you know ends up leasing the building from us and so forth. So um, in doing so, got access to the licensing process in several jurisdictions within California, jurisdictions outside of California, and kind of learned a lot through the hard the hard way about how, how to get a cannabis license um, and we're very mo- much focused on retail. So most of the development that we've done of cannabis licenses has been on retail licenses. So learned a lot of lessons the hard way, had a lot of successes, had a couple you know a couple failures and um, sort of became a, a well well informed on these different processes. and in as part of that process I was introduced to Belinda who's my business partner on the permit Pro side. Um, because she had developed one of the very coveted San Diego retail licenses. And she was looking for an operator to take over her license in San Diego. So I was talking to her because she thought I might know an operator that would want to potentially bid on her license or take it over from her. So we met and we just kind of liked each other because we were professional, straight shooters. Um, There's a lot of people in this industry that you wouldn't necessarily want to do business with. And you know, you you trust them and you trust them and you trust them and then you realize you're the only one following the rules and they're playing by their own rules. Um, so Belinda and I just kind of hit it off. We both live in San Diego and um, we didn't end up doing that deal together, but we kept in touch. Um, and then about la- um, earlier this year, I was, my, my partners and I were awarded one of the retail licenses in Oakland, which is also a, a pretty coveted jurisdiction to get a license. and. Um, In the meantime, Belinda and I had kind of started brainstorming how much kind of organic knowledge we each had about these different processes, San Diego, which is, you know, kind of one end of the spectrum. And I have Oakland and and San Francisco and some other jurisdictions that are the, you know, the the forefront in social equity. And we had all of this knowledge that we would gained over the years. And every time we meet anyone and talk about what we do, they ask, how do you get a permit? And that's like the million dollar question. How do you get a permit? These permits are so valuable. You know, Belinda had a great opportunity selling hers. We've, my partners and I have made, you know, had some great opportunities with some of the ones we've developed and everybody wants to know how to do it, how much it's gonna cost, how much time it's gonna take. And we decided to take all this knowledge that was trapped in our heads and put it into a framework that would be useful. And, you know, it it sounds like it should be pretty simple but it's really different. It's really difficult because every licensing jurisdiction is different, every city in California is different, every county, every state, and so forth. And so we wanted to make content that was gonna be general enough to be broadly useful, but specific enough to be at least somewhat tactically helpful. So we kind of put our heads together, created some content and put together this course that is, it's not gonna get you a license, it's not gonna guarantee you a license, but it is gonna tell you the types of things to expect when, um, when and if you decide to pursue a license, How much how much money you can expect to spend, what some of the first steps are. Um, and you know it's not impossible, but it's not easy and it's not free and it's not quick. So kind of walking people through all of the considerations and what types of resources they'll need and um, kind of give them the push in the back to get them either to to give up on the idea or to go for it and you know kind of take steps in the in the most practical order. And so who
0: is your kind of target customer or client for permit pros? Who are you hoping will take these online courses?
1: So our target customer would be someone that is interested in pursuing the cannabis industry. Um, But you can't Google, how do I get a cannabis permit? And you can't even Google, how do I get a cannabis permit in XYZ city? Because it's, it's not always, it's not a straightforward process. Um, There, there's a lot of commonalities, but it's, it's not, you can't, you can't just pay and get a permit. You can't just take the time and put in the in the effort and get a permit. You know, there's just a process, and so it's someone that's considering it and maybe has even decided that they want to pursue a cannabis permit, but they don't know how to get started. So I would say it's either for people that have decided they want to do it and they want some very strategic, tactical tips about how to get from point A to point B, or people that are considering doing it and they want to know they want to know some of these important considerations before they decide if they're gonna. You know start raising money or take all their take all their life savings and and pursue this So to help them kind of make that decision and then to help them get started down the path
0: And what can students expect from the online course? Can you just talk a little bit more about how
1: that the course is sure? So, um, sure, so you, you'll you can as a student you can expect to get um, a lot of substantive information about the considerations and the resources that you'll need so for example how much is it going to cost what types of professionals do you need to be engaged with do you need an accountant do you need a lawyer do you need a land use expert and um when we talk about how much it's going to cost it doesn't necessarily mean that you need to have that much money at your disposal we also talk about how to raise money what types of what types of structures you can set your business as so that you can most efficiently raise money what types of terminology you want to use when you're talking to a potential investor um, we have a template for a business plan, so that when you're talking to the investor, you have filled out our template, and you can show to them how you plan to get from zero to your license. We have a pro forma template that you can download and try to make your budget and figure out exactly how how long it's gonna take until your business is self-sustaining and so forth. Um, and then we have some other downloads that are like how to how to identify real estate that will be permissible and so forth. So you can expect a lot of very tangible downloads and content. And then you can also expect hours of our more conversational talking through some of the roadblocks we ran into, how we got around them, what we learned, what we would have done differently, and some anecdotal, but I think universally applicable Experiences that, man, if we'd have known this, if we'd have known then what we know now, I would have known how to approach the city, or I would have known how to get through this roadblock with the city, or I would have known what it meant when the city asked me for this. So, um, so I would say some very tangible, um, concrete information and downloads, and then also kind of the more conversational um, experiences, war stories, battle wounds, and so forth, and. Um, we also do have a kind of a condensed version that's a webinar that's free to anyone that that wants to go to our website and access it. That will give you a little bit more of kind of the, um, this, kind of a little bit more about our each of our experiences and you can figure out whether you think that the experiences that we bring and in, information in the course will really be helpful to get you to your your goals in the industry. That's awesome. That's
0: really cool that you offer just a free webinar, even because, like you're saying, for the folks that are considering something like that, would be incredibly helpful.
1: Yeah, I, and it'll, it'll give you a sense of kind of our style and and our you know how how much information we really can provide in the full course.
0: I mean, this information is so hard to access. It doesn't matter what state you're in. I think it's really difficult to, to you know, first you have to be comfortable in regulatory language and then to right. be able to navigate the state versus the local process. And um, and and I think sometimes, you know, you, you don't
1: even know what professional services you're gonna need to support you through it. And right. so. And one thing that Belinda and I really wanna impart is that it's not easy, but Belinda and I are not, rocket scientists, we're not hugely wealthy, bottomless, pocketed, um, you know, press fund children. We're not, we're, we're none of those things. We're just regular, hardworking, decently intelligent people that um, are stubborn enough to keep trying when a process is really difficult.
0: I think that's what it takes. It is that stubborn enough, right? It's like yeah. to continue to persevere. Um, yeah.
1: So, So when,
0: I guess, when did you start Permit Pros?
1: We started talking about it about a year ago, probably just under a year ago. And we were both really busy with other projects. You know, I'm still full-time t- full working on the real estate development side and trying to put those deals together and manage those deals. Um, and Belinda has a lot of other responsibilities going on even after her license, after she sold her license. Um, and it was hard. You know, Neither of us are real self promoters. We, it's hard, it's not natural for either of us to say, I have this information in my brain and you should be willing to pay for it. So it was hard for, and and also you take for granted the stuff that you, that's been so ingrained in you over the years. Like I'm thinking to myself, why would anybody want to hear me talk about cannabis, you know, finding a cannabis real estate location? It's so obvious, but it's only obvious because I do it, you know, 15 hours a day, every day. Um, It wasn't obvious at the beginning and it's not obvious to people that haven't been doing it. So Kind of trying to figure out what what information was going to be important enough and worthy of the of the course, and then you know sitting for hours and hours and hours and recording ourselves talk and recording ourselves interact, and then um, trying to figure out how to market our our course because of all the restrictions and just us not being naturally kind of self promoter, real gregarious, outgoing you know outgoing type, so. Um, so over the past year, we developed all the content. We have we you know we we worked it into a platform that's really friendly for students to take the course. And now we've just been trying to reach um, reach our students. We know they're out there, just not that hard, not that easy to find them.
0: Well, and I spent some time on your website, and you have some excellent testimonials from people who have been through the course. So. What would you say has been one of the bigger successes of the last year with Permit Pros?
1: I mean, part of me thinks that the greatest success is just that we exist. Um, Back when Belinda and I were both getting into this, something like this was was unheard of. It hadn't even been thought of. And both of us would have been so pleased to have access to this type of kind of little packaged up capsule of information that would be so useful for us. rather than paying consultants or just kind of trying to Google it or just trying to rely on your instincts to figure out how hard it's going to be and whether you want to do it. Um, So what's happened in the past few years with online learning in general and particularly accelerated with the pandemic. We know that this is how many people in many different generations want to receive information through a really well organized user friendly course online that they can access from their couch or their basement or whatever. and so, you know, I think a big accomplishment was just kind of getting it all organized, getting it on, getting it on paper and, um, and putting it together. And when and these testimonials are from people that just said, gosh, why didn't you give this to me a couple of years ago, when I was trying to get my license, or when I was trying to develop my brand, uh, I would have, I would have paid 1000s of dollars for this information. So um, it's it's very gratifying to know that all the work that we put kind of, um, packaging it up together has been really useful for the people that have gone through the course.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And speaking of that, how much is the course?
1: It is four hundred and ninety seven dollars and that includes all the downloads and um, all of the the li- not not the, the recorded classes. and um, we've we've received feedback that that's how much each module should cost. but for now as we're kind of getting started, We've just decided that you get the whole course for that um, price and you get access to it forever. You can go at your own pace. No, that's exceptionally reasonable
0: because you can spend tens of thousands of dollars just in lawyer fees trying right. to navigate the application process, you know, right. and... Um, may not be successful so is there what kind of advice could could you give people who are just considering exploring getting a license in a legal state right so there's three
1: things that i three pieces of advice that i would give them i would say first of all do your homework try to figure out your how it works where you live or where you're trying to get a license in some areas it's basically like if you go through steps 1 2 and 3 and you're an adult and you live in the state you can get a license and in other places um, it can be a, it can be a luck of the draw or there can be a merit-based process where you're expected to have a great depth of experience in the industry. So do a home, do your homework and read the ordinance that's going to apply and just kind of try to get a feel for it. Um, the second thing would be talk to people that are in the industry. If you don't know anyone in the industry, go on to LinkedIn and search for one of the big operators and find someone that works at one of the big operators and just reach out and see if you can have an informational interview chances are some, you know, someone that knows someone that's in the industry. Um, and the third thing is to really do some soul searching. This is a difficult process. It is not impossible. It is very gratifying. It's a lot of fun. It's doable, but it's not for everyone. Um, think about how the conversations with your parents are going to go. Are they going to disown you because you're pursuing this industry? Think about um, what Protect you know the, your current career that you're going to be moving away from, or wh- how much financial risk you're willing to take, and understand that starting a business in an established industry is hard, and this is a nascent industry, and it's an industry whose product is illegal at the federal level. So there's it's it's not easy. It's it's worth it, and it's fun, but you I, I would just suggest some real soul searching to make sure you're doing this for the right reasons, and that it's something that you're going to feel really, really good about putting a lot of time and energy into.
0: Yeah, I think that's all really good advice. So what are your thoughts on just sort of the high barriers to entry to the cannabis industry? You've kind of hit on some of them in the conversation, you know, the capital requirements, just the per- the permitting process itself, the inventory, the real estate inventory being fairly low. Just, I, I just love to just kind of hear just generally kind of what do you think about those high barriers to entry for this particular industry?
1: Yeah. So, so that's a great question. Um, the barriers are a little bit different depending on not only where you live, but also what part of the industry you're going to pursue. So I would say the highest barriers to entry would be if you wanted to start growing or you know cultivating cannabis because you have to have um, either a farm or a very, very fancy greenhouse or real estate with a lot of very expensive equipment and lights and so forth. So it's going to be very capital intensive. And then certain manufacturing aspects are also going to be very capital intensive. Um, Retail is sort of in between, so you're going to need to rent or buy the real estate, and you're going to need to have inventory and so forth, but you're not having to buy like millions of dollars worth of equipment. And then there's opportunities to make kind of a little bit less expensive forays into the industry, like if you were to develop a brand or if you were to maybe have a delivery service or a distribution license. So the barriers depend a little bit on how you want to access the industry and and what part of the supply chain. but they're definitely high. Um, you know, the real estate is is hard to find, and typically landlords will know that they have a hot commodity in you know captive audience, and it's it's expensive. Um, and so, and so the sad part of this is that it it makes it a little bit harder for the mom and pop or the entrepreneur to get into the industry, and it favors more of the big business and the corp more corporate multi state operators. With that said, there's capital out there for little guys. So whether or not you know people that might be wanting to invest, um, there's also even if you don't know people that you think would want to be in, would want to invest or that you wouldn't necessarily want to have invest in your business, there's angel investors and there's funds and there's ways to go through training programs that that culminate in like a pitch day where you get to pitch your opportunity to investors. We talk about a lot of some of this in our in our course, but. Um, it's out there. You can you can be scrappy and cobble it together, particularly if you want to do some of the less capital intensive pursuits. Um, but but it is expensive, and um, it's not like you can just go get a loan from a regular bank, you know, for your small business. It's it's more difficult to find the capital, and their barriers to entry are high. Um, but in certain states and jurisdictions, they're they're not as high. And um, you know particularly in some of the areas in California where social equity is a big part of the process, sometimes there's financial assistance um, and grants and stuff that can be available. So uh, don't don't run away just because the barriers to entry are high. think through the barriers and and what tools and resources you could use to potentially be able to get through the barrier.
0: How do you see the future of legal cannabis evolving? We kind of have this like state of the state model right now. The feds seem to toy with the idea of, you know, taking off a of schedule one, but never quite, you know, getting there. I know we're in election year and all those things. So in
1: just, year, I had no idea. Yeah. yeah, it's not everywhere all over Europe. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Yeah, a great question. I think the first thing that will be addressed at a federal level is banking. So right now it is very difficult to get a bank account, um, a, a bank account where the bank knows that the money is coming from cannabis. It's often mostly cash. It is very difficult. And what that means is that even if you're a legal operator, you're having to collect cash from your customers. You're having to suck it away in a safe. You're often having to pay your employees in cash. It makes no sense. It's very unsafe. It's very inefficient. And nobody benefits from the lack of access to banking. So um, I think that's going to be the first thing that it will be resolved. But I'll, I could easily eat my words because I, I am shocked that it hasn't been addressed yet. I can't imagine what the possible opposition is to eliminating having millions of dollars a month of currency on the street, where CEOs are biggest concern is a physical safety because if anybody knows where they live, they're gonna know that there's a bunch of cash under their mattress. It's crazy. So that I think will be the first thing to happen. And I expect that that will happen regardless of the outcome of the the presidential election in the next few years. Um, I also believe that it's inevitable that there will eventually be the descheduling and the full legalization. for no other reason than I, I just can't imagine that there's very many humans on this planet that could watch and learn and understand the medical need for this plant of kids, adults, cancer patients, AIDS patients, and and with a good conscience, be able to say that they shouldn't have access to it when there's all these narcotics and very toxic pharmaceuticals available. I can't understand what an argument against medical marijuana would be. Um, so that, it will be faster depending on the outcome of the election, but I just can't imagine that medical marijuana won't be generally available. And I know that eventually adult use will be accessible too, because again, I mean, these are my personal biases, but I don't know how someone can tell me that alcohol should be legal and cannabis shouldn't be legal. There's not one single thing that makes cannabis more dangerous than alcohol. Maybe they're both more dangerous than apple juice or milk, but neither of them are, or alcohol is in no way safer than marijuana. It's more addictive. It's, it can be deadly. It makes anyway, I I'll get off that soapbox, but, um, if we're coming to, if, if enough of us in this country have rational are capable of rational thought, we'll get there. Um, and, and I, I, I would like to think it will be, you know, before, before my kids are grown up, but, um, I don't know. I've been unpleasantly surprised in the past.
0: <laughs> no, I hear that. I mean, I like to hear you say that the banking you think will be addressed first. I feel like that is so needed, especially like you're saying for the safety. Um, another thing I'd love to see addressed is 280E. I think mm-hmm. that that, that, tax law just crushes businesses. Um, yes.
1: I, agree. I think that will come soon too. Um but I also think that the government is kind of desperate for tax revenue, so 280 is just unfairly taxing the industry, which means more money, you know, revenue to the government. So I don't know how motivated they'll be.
0: No, exactly. It's like double speak outside of the government's mouth because, like, this is an illegal substance, but then we're going to collect as much as we possibly can. No. Off of it for right. It.
1: it is very hypocritical. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, I mean, if they want tax revenue, then legalization will. Also, get them more tax revenue so exactly exactly and then there'd be more
0: transparency into the actual finances of all of the businesses and things right like dealing in all cash like you know you might not have as the government you might not have as much transparency into what's actually happening there with the money
1: right and also with all the taxes um it's it's much easier to operate as an illegal like a black market operator because you don't have to pay the 30 40 percent taxes that um, come come out at the end of the day so you know, until we can make it a business environment that is sustainable for the legal operators, we're going to have a thriving black market, particularly because enforcement is not a priority in in states that have decriminalized it. So Um, yeah, we need to stop rewarding the black market operators that aren't following the rules and aren't paying taxes.
0: Well, and that seems to be a particular issue in California. I feel like I see so many headlines about, you know, like the black market sort of overtaking the legal market and just different sort of issues they're having, trying to know who those operators are. And then like you say, do some kind of enforcement action. I mean, it exists in every legal market, but For some reason, I feel like I see more headlines about California than- Yeah, I think
1: the stakes are a little higher in California because it's such a big market and because the taxes are so high. And I also think that um, there's just more legacy operators in California that that never made the transition. And I also think that it is so taboo to think of taking enforcement action against anything to do with cannabis in California That law enforcement is like, well, we don't want to be those jerks that are arresting someone for cannabis because cannabis is legal, but in fact, it's really undermining the legal system because, you know, for those of us, you know, many people are feeling a little more economically pinched with, you know, the pandemic and so forth, and for whatever reason, are going to go to the black market dispensary that's next door to the legal one because it's going to—it's literally going to be like thirty percent less without all the taxes.
0: Exactly. You can't blame patients or consumers for making that decision. Yeah, Yeah. I I see why it happens. We still have the caregiver model here, too, like in Michigan, in addition to the licensing. And it's definitely coming to a head. Right. And the licensees are very actively um, lobbying to remove the caregivers from the market. Um, But the caregivers are the legacy operators and they oftentimes have more of the plant knowledge, the cultivation knowledge. And they have a pretty, um, you know, reliable customer base, patient base. so it'll be interesting to see how it evolves. I wish that in Michigan's case, that they had built a better bridge between caregivers and licensees. It was sort of like, get out the way, caregivers. We have a new model now right. and you're not welcome. And I, I just, I think it's, it makes it sticky for a long time to work that out.
1: Right. Yeah, I don't think any, I don't think we've seen a state that really nailed the transition yet. <laughs> no, first should have been expungement of records, in my opinion. Like if you're gonna
0: legalize, then so that right, should have right, been the first move. Is right. what do we do with all these people that are in jail, have records, you know, have issues with housing, employment, access to student loans? Before we were like, how do we license multi-million dollar dispensaries? Right. That's my humble opinion. But it, maybe there'll be a state out there that does it. I know Illinois tried to, you know, have some kind of like big sort of expungement action right after adult oh, use was right.
1: legalized. Yeah, um, Illinois has yeah. its own issues with its process, so. Mm-hmm. I've heard.
0: <laughs> I mean, every state does. And, you know, I, I try not to be too critical of Michigan. I, you know, in some ways, I think Michigan's done a lot of things right. But and it's easy to be critical as an outsider of yep. you know, what is not isn't working. Absolutely.
1: So what can folks expect from permit pros in the future? Um, I, Hopefully you'll continue to see us um, on podca- a great podcast like this. And out on social media, we do have a blog. So follow our blog and get our updates. Um, this, the course that's online right now is kind of our, our I wouldn't call it our beta because it's, it's a full course, but it's our version 1.0. And so I think kind of as we get more traction, more experience, and we have more knowledge to bring to bear, um, hopefully eventually there'll be additional content that we create and maybe we'll have it a little bit more professionally produced. Ours is totally, totally acceptable. It's fine, but you know, we didn't necessarily have like Hollywood studios behind us. So, um, yeah, hopefully, we'll continue to improve our product. Whereas, as I'm out there working in additional jurisdictions and states and cities, um, there'll be more knowledge that we can impart. And um, from time to time, we actually have additional offers for our students, where if they, you know, if they have a certain promo code or something, they can get access to Belinda and I on Slack for a certain number of hours. So. Um, if you check out our webinar or or reach out to us, we might be able to get you into one of those programs where you'll get the full course for four hundred and ninety-seven dollars, and you'll also get kind of office hours, in, you know, insider access to the Permit Pros. So our, our website is Team Permit Pros, so you can find us online and you know read a little bit more about our backgrounds and our. Get our blog and our and our webinar and so forth.
0: Yeah, I really loved your website. I thought it was really easy to navigate and I loved the buttons at the bottom where you could click them and then tweet out or like make a LinkedIn
1: post about what you guys are doing. I thought that was yeah. really cool.
0: Yeah, thanks. So whoever did your website is awesome.
1: Yeah, we, we first like did it ourselves and we're like, you know what, if we want to, you know, make this easier for our students and our, our audience, we made a little investment into making the website easier to use. So I'm glad you liked it. Yeah, it's beautiful. Well, I appreciate
0: everything you guys are doing. I think you're very, very necessary in the industry. That's for sure. And the fact that you're encouraging, you know, saying, yes, there's high barriers to entry, but it's not impossible, I think is very needed because I could see people shying away from trying to get involved unless, you know, they're incredibly wealthy. And I to see that I want to see there to be a lot of diversity in the
1: industry. Yep. And that's kind of what Belinda and I are trying to show you. We are just regular, hardworking, you know relatively capable humans. Um, We don't have any special superpowers. We just are willing
0: to work hard.